Are there any films that have influenced or affected you physically? Because I once had a copy of To Kill a Mockingbird flung at me. And uh, I can't look at that scar without thinking about old-timey racism. Because it was an old-timey racist who threw it at me. <laughs> I'm thinking of old Bill from the ship shop. <laughs> Come here, uh, you damn whites! God damn it, old Bill! <laughs> Colourblind as well. <laughs> Some would say he's the most progressive. Yeah, he hates everyone, including himself. <laughs> well, I remember when we sm- when I smashed up that DVD of um, Transformers, or Paul Blart. I think it was Paul yeah, Blart, I think Moore it was Cop Paul Blart Moore Cup 2. Yeah. Um, that hurt my hands a bit. Ah, oh, That was affected. pretty intense. You think, <laughs> oh, going above and beyond. You got to Kevin James. I've got to say, man, you really affected me. <laughs> you rubbing your hands on your butt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thanks, man. It's always good to hear. Knuckles are sore for weeks. Hmm? Anyway, huh? bye. like this in potential to be something else what hand or eye wrought this fearful symmetry did he who made the lamb make we i'm paul actual tiger i'm paul confused <laughs> paul fused am i right that could have been yeah the name of this was podcast. that literary illusion that you're <laughs> making at the beginning of this i don't know i don't appreciate that or like it <laughs> it was from paul blart more snart oh then i like it <laughs> it's actually very today i'm well, speaking of today <laughs> We are going to regress right up our past holes and take a look at all the films that made us made. Yeah, they're tight. Better lube up. <laughs> Better lube the up film. because that, my history, is incredibly retentive. These are the films that made a big impression on our film tastes, our view of the world, and our actual personalities, maybe. Can you prove that we wouldn't be the people that we are today if we hadn't watched Mrs. Doubtfire? <laughs> I mean, personality-wise, I think we should leave that to the viewers. <laughs> <laughs> Which I've taken to calling them recently. <laughs> the Hi, lovely guys. ear viewers at home. Um, with a big old ears for viewing. Look at this Should listen. decide on the kind of monsters that we've become. <laughs> oh, Christ. So, Paul, you pre-reflective consciousness. Wah, wah. Gaga, gaga. <laughs> uh, films don't really affect you when you're a kid, do they? It's just noise and lights to keep us quiet until cake time. Tell you what, not as much as rock music does, Paul. Yeah, I know, right? The My Chemical Romance. Oh, I'm such a bloody Satanist oh. now, all of a sudden. I'm sick of it. All hail this. <laughs> Just every weekend. And, and, and I'm like, Widdly on the guitars. And mum's like, well, how did this get to get to be you? And I was like, well, who was a massive Marilyn Manson fan when I was a teenager? You, mum. So, <laughs> who's to blame? Yeah, well, exactly. And I mean, yes, obviously it was films for a while. Uh, you know, we had, yeah. we, had the, we had the Hayes Code in for a while, thank God. Oh, thank God. People, not just kids, but everybody needs to be protected from salacious content. <laughs> um, but fortunately, there were more immersive and more easily spreadable art forms out there after cinema, so we can just blame those now. Yeah. That is helpful. It's helpful that they're now pumping in stuff into people's houses that we can blame for not raising the kids. But I think it is fair to say, in spite of our flippancy, <laughs> what we like. Maybe films can't make you go outside and blow your neighbours away, although I had my own feelings about grown-ups too. But what they can do is reflect little bits of the world and yourself back at you and uh, maybe help solidify them a bit, make them a bit more concrete. Yeah. All those bits of you. Yeah, they make, they make little tweaks as you go, like a mechanic who's never done with the job. Yeah, or like bits of butter that didn't quite get stirred into the batter. It's just waiting there yeah. inside of you. 
ready to just really get in the mouth of whoever's consuming you. What a great yeah pair of analogies there from, from us. <laughs> what a great polls. complimentary pair of analogies. What does it say about us, ear viewers at home? <laughs> it says we were raised by Disney, is what it bloody says. Uh. So, without any further whatever this is, let's count down our top ten formative films, going vaguely chronologically for our pathetic lives. Yeah, vaguely, 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 because... Uh, <laughs> I. I don't know about you, Paul, but uh, my memory is a, is a patchy, imageless uh, hellscape. Oh, so, fuck yeah. No, this is horrible. I thought this would be yeah, easy. <laughs> no, it isn't. I remember the names of the films. I tried to remember what the first like black and white, somber, serious movie I liked was. Because it wasn't, it, you know, it started as play, as um, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and somehow mm. ended up at Fellini. And I can't exactly point at where that happened. Like I thought I, might, okay. I would be able to. That's an interesting sneak preview, Paul. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to be curious to see how our lists differ. <laughs> Based on which of us understood this brief. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing it's not me. So, Paul, what's the first significant film that managed to break through the hard shell of Northampton and actually reach you? Through the Iron Curtain, as it was called, <laughs> um, back in the Thatcher days. Mostly because... As the Iron Lady, it was her job to straddle um, the industrial shires of the Midlands. Yeah, that and that actual um, Iron Curtain she put around Northampton in order to try and keep people out. Yeah, it was a great a double meaning for her name. <laughs> it was actually, very ambiguous, actually. It was brilliant. It was very clever and, yeah, not, not really touched upon in the Iron Lady. And um, that was my main beef with the film. <laughs> but um, the, the, the first one, really, there's a, in, in the, the five childhood movies that I've gathered oh. for the viewers at home, mm. there's three conspicuously kids movies ah. and the first of these would be the animated robin hood movie okay robin hood and little john walking through the forest laughing back and forth at what the other has to say reminiscing this and that and having such a good time oodle lolly oodle lolly golly what a day the first animated robin hood movie that's really cool the one with the sexy foxes the one with the sexy foxes and i suppose yeah. that's yeah that's obviously why Robin Hood it and Little John are walking through the forest. Like my memory being being what it is, was that a Disney or was that just a yeah, standalone? Just a laugh. Oh, great! Talking okay. what the other had to say. The the, the soundtrack was so fun, and yeah. the, I had a I had it on vinyl, which oh. you know was one vinyl. of those. I, I used to love. I had an old uh, uh, long player that my dad didn't want anymore because there were CDs out now. And uh, <laughs> Christ, even as a fucking kid, you're a hipster. No, no, the fidelity is much better, trust me. <laughs> yeah, it's actually better when you can't make out all the instruments. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, I had I had that and a few other things, but I used to play this this record all the time, like a teen sitting and f- finding Nirvana for the first time. <laughs> for me, it's like, oh, Robin Hood, the Robin Hood musical <laughs> from Disney, it's great. Um, Check this shit out. <laughs> the Robin Hood story appealed way more to me as, mm. uh, you know, as a kid for being in cartoon form, and... Uh, Similar feel to the Jungle Book. Yeah. You know, it was, um, it, it's funny going back to this, like I said, trying to remember specifics other than just the, the, the joy of this, this new world mm. that I was a part of. The, the original music for the, uh, for the film. At the time, you know, I think we had Aladdin and the Lion King coming out and the animation had really progressed by then. Mm. So going back to, again, like the low fidelity uh, vinyl, <laughs> that was uh, way, way better. Mm. You know, this, this had the, the hand-drawn yeah. feel to it as well and um, the characters were a bit slinkier than <laughs> than the sort of semi-computer animated stuff sexier. that was coming out at the time. And Yeah, well, I'd fuck yeah. I mean, look at those foxes, mate. I'd, I'd, fuck, I'd fuck King John if he was a character in that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think just the, the the look and feel it was feel of it was noticeably different yeah. to the to the stuff that was coming out at the time, and 
just a, just a really joyous romp and uh, you know i'd like to think that i really ruined ruined the home for my family watching it every night for about a year because <laughs> that's what happens when you're a kid yeah you just you just mainline it and, and ruin it for literally everybody else <laughs> yeah contemplating nothing but escaping finally making it oodle lolly oodle lolly golly what a day for my first one, I did also want to talk about Disney, and I think it's interesting that we're both going to start this talking about Disney movies, because the first film I ever saw was probably the Care Bears movie, but I remember seeing oh. Little Mermaid first. Oh, cool. However, my first formative film I'm going to talk about is, as I've spoken about before, the first film I saw at the cinema, and it's Disney's Aladdin. Ah. Make way, here he comes, ring bells, bang the drum Are you gonna love this guy? Prince Ali, fabulous he, Ali Ababwa Genuflect, show some respect, down on one knee Now try your best to stay calm Brush up your Sunday salon Then come and meet his spectacular coterie Prince Ali, mighty is he, Ali Ababwa I mean, the ways in which this impacted me, I guess, being the first film I saw at the cinema, maybe it prepared me for the sort of spectacle that I would ho- always hope for from the cinema. The sort of big mm. visuals and the big music and the comedy and just the stuff that's going to bring everyone together into a sort of conclus- um, cohesive audience, you know, just enjoying this thing. Just stuff that's going to reach absolutely everyone. And in mm. terms of of themes and how they might have gotten to me, I guess... There's something very interesting in Aladdin, the character, because, you know, he's a street rat, Mm. not got anything going on for him. And he ends up lying in order to make a big impression and trying to uh, trick everyone and game the system in order to get ahead. And ultimately is, you know, found out and is dethroned Mm. and cast out and yet is able to come back. And I guess what's interesting is the idea of what actually made Aladdin a hero. Was it, you know, what qualities did he have that meant that he was the one who had to fix this story? He was the character who this situation needed to fix it. And I guess it was his... Mm. There's luck in there, but there's also a pluckiness, an ability to sort of roll with it that he has. Other characters Mm. don't that allows him to stay on top. And also sort of... It's communicated to us the idea that it's because he's somehow charming, able, able to get on with people and care about people that makes him different from Jafar, for example. Yes. And that's something, I guess, that spoke to me, is the idea that it it's the content of uh, of a man's character that really determines, mm. you know, who he is and who is, what his destiny is going to turn out to be. You know, anyone could have found the lamp, but he found it. And because of the things his heart wanted and the person he was, the you know, he was able to prevail in the end. And I guess that was, yeah, something that stood out to me when I was a little kid. A very shy little kid, just sitting at home, Aww. rubbing that lamp. No genies came out, though. <laughs> With that lamp he found. <laughs> that lamp he found. Yeah. No genies ever came out though. He actually got the used one. Genie always got out. <laughs> oh, and Robin Williams, it has to be said, was a huge part of my childhood. Oh yeah, for sure. My family fucking loved Mrs. Doubtfire. We watched that all the time. And you know, I'd be interested to watch Aladdin again to see just how dated his shtick has gotten. But the high energy uh, was definitely something that spoke to me as a kid. Him and Jim Carrey it was just high yeah. energy, silly voices. That's what you need. <laughs> I've seen Aladdin a couple of times in the last year, and ah. it doesn't grow old. It's... Oh, brilliant. <laughs> oh, and the music is great too. Oh, the music's fantastic, yeah. A whole new world. That's where we'll be. That's where we'll be. A chase. A wondrous place for you and me. Oh, 
It's interesting to me that for a while I went off Disney, or at least I became too embarrassed to be the one, the person who was taking us to go see Disney. Because my mum would always mm. ask, who, who, which of us actually wants to see this? As if it was inexplicable <laughs> we were going to the cinema. Hang on a minute, has there been a mistake? Does anyone want to see this? <laughs> and I'd be too embarrassed to say, no, the reason we're going to go see a cutesy kids film with music and, you know, characters doing silly voices is because I want to see it. Yeah. And so in between Toy Story 2 and up, I didn't go see any Disney movies at the cinema because I was too embarrassed to go on my own or with my family. Um, and those are oh. the only two options. So... <laughs> It wasn't until I actually had met a group of friends who wanted to go see Up that I actually mm. broke that particular exodus. Uh, what would you call it? Um, exile for the from the kingdom, for yeah. the Magic Kingdom. And I think there's something to that—the idea of rediscovering childhood, mm. simple pleasures. I think I think teenagers tend to. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, teenagers. Mm. But <laughs> when I was a, when I was a lad, I, I went off Disney for a while as well. It yeah. seemed like you know like a good thing to rebel against because it was yeah. a, an institution and. You know, it seems so safe and and pissy when you're a teenager, <laughs> but then you come back to it as an adult who who weeps when um when you open a banana incorrectly, and, <laughs> and and you think, oh no, actually, it does have a lot to offer. Yeah, I guess you experience it on different levels as well. Well, it's I guess one thing you appreciate is that, and again, I'll I'll use these particular gender pronouns because it's the way the industry worked for most of um Disney's history. But this is largely men making stuff for their kids, so it's mm. dads making stuff for their kids. And so when you're a kid, you love it, and then when you get to be sort of dad age, you start to love it from the other side and that's yeah, yeah i think part of that rediscovery God, we had dad age aren't we yeah dad age <laughs> it'll be more mums please right. more mums making these movies yeah that's what we need that's good <laughs> another movie i don't know i don't want to meet the dad who made this one uh flight <laughs> of the navigator Ooh. david what time did you enter the woods around eight o'clock then what happened Reached this cliff. It's transmitting in alpha waves with complex frequency patterns in them. I, I know I failed. It's 1986, man. Eight years since that night. This is totally rad. I mean, you're my big little brother. I think you should take a look at this. Where did this come from? From the mind of a 12-year-old boy? mentioned it before as a one better thing i can't remember for which film birdemic it's another birdemic <laughs> yeah um easily bested by flight of the navigator <laughs> uh, one, one, one of those films that, again i just i remember in patches but i, I loved it for its otherworldliness um I, I i loved it for the just the the sheer insanity of the this this journey this kid gets picked up on by this um sentient spaceship basically mm. and just whisked around it's either the world or the universe as a kid it doesn't really matter it's um like geography as a kid is is so yeah and spatial awareness as a kid is so sort of limited <laughs> yeah that um that yeah my dad used to put like buckets of water on tops of all the ladders in our house um <laughs> he hated so was, me hated me endless yeah <laughs> more more than anything you, you've got the the sort of audience surrogate in the protagonist it's just this kid who's whoa wow and let's go on this journey together yeah. this wisecracking sentient spaceship who <laughs> is I, I remember my dad really loving loads of it loads of its lines and me that sort of reinforcing it for me that oh yeah this is a great film i love i love that my dad's enjoying this too yeah um that's a big thing when you're a kid this is good enough to impress grown-ups yeah whoa whoa this and face off (laughs) wow dad likes two kids films (laughs) um but the i think if i had to look at it from retrospectively um you know, and understand it in a way that I never could as a child. I think it's it's one of those films that instilled instilled in me the joys of fiction and the joys mm. of reading, watching, 
reading about or watching these other worlds and maybe you know creating my own yeah and brilliant yeah uh, it was good. Yeah, good stuff. I have been sent from Baylon to borrow samples of light from different galaxies for study. On this planet, I chose you. Why me? Why not? The next big thing that I remember, really, in my life um, was the car crash, but I don't remember much about that. So the next thing <laughs> I do remember is that Steven Spielberg had another... I mean, Spielberg and Disney pretty much described my childhood, and I remember seeing Jaws a bunch of times and loving it, but not as many times as Jurassic Park. Mm. And from Jurassic Park, I think what I've really learned is the idea that cinema can be monumental. Because all I remember about this movie is scale. I remember the merchandising was really minimalist. You just have like the logo on a black background and like mm. the aesthetic of the whole thing. And I remember at the beginning when they approached the gate. That gate that opens to Jurassic Park. I just remember it seeming huge and unimaginable. And you watch it about now, and the gate's pretty small, weirdly. They cut to <laughs> yeah. a long shot of it for some reason, and it's just like, oh, it's the gate to Jurassic Park. And it looks like you could push it open if you wanted to, which I think a character actually does <laughs> later on. But um, when you were a kid... accident, they try to cut it. <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> Barry! Cut! <laughs> Barry, Barry Spielberg, Spielberg, the biggest fuck-up on the <laughs> set. <laughs> oh, glad we both Jesus. went for that. <laughs> Sign it to Patreon, <laughs> everyone at home. <laughs> Get more of this. I just remember scale, and I remember the sense of wonder. Mm. It's a real, a really tangible thing for a kid, and just you know, they they hold off, and they they really, if you watch it, take a big gambit with kids' attention spans. It's a long time before you see a dinosaur in that mm. movie, and a lot of the dialogue is actually really naturalistic, not movie character, mm. you know, yeah. zany dialogue. It's very kind of dour dialogue between grown-ups mm. and um and jeff goldblum and when you grow up you realize just how great those characters are because they are very subtle i mm. think and they're not really conventional movie characters they all talk over each other they mumble yeah. they there's a weird kind of noah baumbach <laughs> naturalism <laughs> to the whole thing I hate which just makes which just makes the the fear all the more believable yeah. i fucking love the fact that when they're driving away from the t-rex laura dern is just shouting shit Shit! <laughs> That's so great. Was that just say sp- whatever comes into your head, Laura? <laughs> Goes what feels right. Here comes Barry. Shit! <laughs> Barry Spielberg chasing after them in the car. <laughs> hey guys! He's only running. You want a lunch? <laughs> Shit! So, yeah, I, I really love this movie. I love the action. I think the T-Rex attacking the... I watched the T-Rex attacking the car again recently. What's lovely is how slightly mm. awkward it is. It's, it has that rhythm mm. of an actual animal attack of just, are we okay? Yeah. Are we okay? It's not doing anything. Oh, now it's roaring at us. Now everything's horrible. <laughs> okay, back to, yeah. back to nothing. Can we get out? Can we go? Oh, shit. No, he's pushed us over. Great. <laughs> and it's just... It has... Yeah. Cool. Now I know. It's really well-paced. Very tense. It's, the whole movie is just, you know, those ripples on the, um, the glass of water. It's just tension and the idea of something huge is coming. And I love it. Nice. <laughs> Interestingly, I was one of those kids. <laughs> yeah, one of those kids who um, was waiting for the dinosaurs and... Mm. Uh, didn't have the attention span to uh, to last the the realistic um, <laughs> human characters until yeah. I was about 
28 oh really? so um <laughs> <laughs> no actually i just i i saw it as a kid and i was going where are the dinosaurs because i'm an idiot and um <laughs> then i and then nell showed me again when i, I was about 31 yeah and i went oh this is great oh okay cool. <laughs> that's interesting because even though i was much the same and i do actually remember saying to um my sister you know tell me when tell me when they get to the triceratops because that's when it yeah. gets good um <laughs> i still remember really loving that and i remember being kind of in love with ingen and it the way it worked mm. in particular the whole computer system which involved big buttons with lights yeah that's great why doesn't my work why, why doesn't my workplace involve samuel jackson and these big buttons that you get to press all day wait till labor gets back in <laughs> press uh, this button to well fund somebody's care package <laughs> join a union and uh, <laughs> we'll make this a reality well but yeah my uh point is Instead, I watched The Land Before Time over and over again. Um, Instant dinosaur. Maybe... No Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, maybe a hundred times a year. I loved it that much. (laughs) One herd had only a single baby. Their last hope for the future. (laughs) And they called him Littlefoot. Here I am. Yeah, this was Don Bluth who did Pebble and the Penguin. Yes, no less. <laughs> you can tell. Um, <laughs> just to show you, you know, who knows what trajectory your life or career is going to take. <laughs> and that's what I um, learned is that sometimes yeah. um, make Pebble and the Penguin. <laughs> my dad kept Pebble. He banned it from from the household. Um, <laughs> it was locked away in that in that um, Iron Maiden down in the cellar, <laughs> with a bit of cheese in there to lure in the ne'er do wells. <laughs> it's a group of group of kiddie dinosaurs go off to find their parents because they all go missing. Yeah, again, it's it's this this incredible journey that lasts days and miles and miles and miles, mm. and these 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 dinosaurs are kids, and you know we're kids when we when we're watching this. It's this incredible journey in this land that you've never been to before. It's mm. amazing now thinking that again, I didn't get into reading fantasy novels properly until a few years ago because it's, it's the same sort of yeah the same sort of wonder centers of the brain are just being tickled here yeah um and again it's that that great old animation style that's that there's that warmth to it it's like what falling asleep to a vhs yeah 11 11 in the evening in a, in a darkened room as a kid yeah you've got the the animation which is really lovely but every, everything about it like the, the the characters like ducky who turns up who you know i just it's, it's one of those films that i just get flashes off apropos of nothing mm. And I'll just start thinking of, yep, 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 nope, 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 for, for no reason at all. And I'll just say it to myself as I'm walking down the street oh. like a fool. <laughs> what I loved at the time was the, the, the cutesy names that they all had for the other dinosaurs, like Long Neck or Sharp Tooth. At the time, I thought it was Sharp Tooth oh, yeah. um, for, the, for the T-Rex. But just, again, it's, it's a kid's view of the world mm. where the, like, it doesn't matter about having the right names. Um, it's just about the the experience and how you experience it yeah i saw it as often as possible i think as often as my parents would allow <laughs> but before right. before they would go insane um this is one of those films that if, if i don't remember much of it now because i haven't taken the time to see it it's just so indelibly marked on my brain yeah and they all grew up together in the valley generation upon generation each passing on to the next the tale of their ancestors' journey to the valley, long ago. Yeah, that, it's it's always going to be there tonally, if nothing oh, else. Oh fuck yeah! I mean, Jurassic Park I essentially have memorized. Um, yeah, oh, cool. it's, it's, we watched it for a while there. We were watching it every Sunday. It became part of the Sunday routine, and so 
yeah, I just it's just fucking all in there. Every line of dialogue and that fucking thing is all stored neatly under the various set sections. Very oh, much so like good. a Unix system. <laughs> so, <laughs> my next one is Men in Black. All right, kid, here's the deal. At any given time, there are around 1,500 aliens on the planet. Most of them right here in Manhattan. And most of them are decent enough. They're just trying to make a living. Cab drivers. Well, not as many as you'd think. Humans, for the most part, don't have a clue. They don't want one or need one, either. They're happy. They think they have a good bead on things. Well, why, why the big secret? People are smart. They can handle it. A person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. 1,500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was flat. And 15 minutes ago, you knew that people were alone on this planet. Imagine what you'll know tomorrow. And again, I think what you're seeing here is that as a child, I really became very attached to blockbusters and in particular sort of comedic ones or ones that the whole family could enjoy, because I really, really remember my family bonding over Men in Black, um, particularly how funny it was. Because at the heart of it mm. is a buddy cop movie that is so perfect. Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones are just absolute perfect together. Their chemistry is fantastic in this, but it's only really because it's so well written. It's yeah. so measured and subtle that it's just brilliant. There's just so many of my favorite lines that are just really quiet moments, just... um. Something like, um... Who are you? Did he say anything to you? Yeah, he said the world was coming to an end. Did he say when? And just the, the dead serious look on Tommy Lee Jones' face, yeah. which... Um, is it Barry Sonnenkat who directed this one? I think it is. He, um, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, and he just dwells on it. He lets these moments happen. And I, without exaggeration, this was our generation's Ghostbusters. And I feel sorry mm. that it doesn't have that... It doesn't feel like it has that legacy. And perhaps it's because it had so many bad sequels almost immediately, um, which have been coming out regularly for 20 years now, sort of just in time to keep reminding you of, you know, the legacy of this fucking mm. thing. And I think that was probably the most disappointing part of International, is that it wasn't just a bad movie that lacked the qualities of the original. It was such an mm. unremarkable bad movie. Like, we've all moved on. Mm. We've forgotten about it. People are going to still be angry about Rise of Skywalker this time next year, but nobody gives a fuck about International anymore. And yeah. I guess how could you be so angry? It's well established that this, this franchise is like this. And I think that's a shame because I really hope the brilliance of that original film doesn't end up getting forgotten because it really is a perfect blend of comedy, action, and a little bit of horror as well. Like, yeah. I really fucking love Vincent D'Onofrio's performance in that. I was say, a, it's got Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah, right? as just a bug that is barely yeah. contained inside of a human skin. I love sugar. <laughs> I want about one thing. <laughs> don't oh, that's do great. That. David Cross is in there briefly. <laughs> Linda Fiontino is actually oh, really fun. God, yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, it's oh fuck. I just love the whole thing. And and Rip Torn, of course, and his maddening sort of thing. Oh man, yeah. And I love the little deprecating moments on Will Smith's part. Like there's a bit where um Zed says, um, take Junior here with you. He's a good one to cut his teeth on. Go get him, Tiger. And as the two are leaving, Will Smith does an impression of Zed, saying, we're not holding some kind of international intergalactic kegler. And Tommy Lee Jones just looks yeah. at him, and he's just like, Zed. And just tails off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's really great. And yeah. yeah, it's great. Height of Will Smithness. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's my favorite Will Smith, I think. 
Um, I think so. Yeah, I, I think it's the one that utilized him the best as just being a complete fish out of water. Yeah, which is something, again, that was just lost in international. Are you thinking because the attitude that he usually brings is, is a bit overbearing when he's an expert well, yeah. or the best in his field? <laughs> yeah, or just punching out an alien, you know, which has, which actually, yeah. to be fair, is quite fun because it's like the idea of what if this kid, you know, was our hero? Wouldn't he do stuff like just punch out an alien and say, welcome to Earth? So yeah. Independence Day utilized him quite well as well. But I like the, mo- the yeah, like you say, the modesty, I guess, that he shows in yeah. Men in Black. You tell me why you thought little Susie deserved to die. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so many good moments. I really love that film. Yeah. I remember seeing it in the cinema and and with my gran, I think. Oh, man. uh, It's for all the family. It was one of those. Just just my gran, actually. My gran and me. And it's weird because I remember it as being just really fucking cool, but it's very subdued in terms of action. There's not much. Mm. Really, but you get bits with the noisy cricket and the final fight. And it's just enough to keep you like kids thinking, oh, this is so cool. Well, do you know what I think of first when I think of the action in Men in Black? I think of oh. him chasing mm. that dude at the very beginning. Yes, yeah. When he's still in his um in his plain clothes. Yeah. And I, I love that. It was just <laughs> he, it just looks so good. Yeah. And Will Smith looked great in his orange <laughs> clothes running around. And still find some time for some gags. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. There's something like it's just raining with black people here in New York or something like that when he jumps into a bus. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Kid, that was a very powerful line. <laughs> and that's when I knew that I was part of the problem. <laughs> And the solution. But we had, we all had the answer. Okay, you're frightening your partner. I haven't been training a partner. I've been training a replacement. Wait a minute, Kay. I cannot do this job by myself. Hey, guys. My apartment isn't anywhere near here. It's not even on the same island. See you around, Jay. No. You won't. Someone else is part of the solution and the problem. Um, <laughs> is uh, Mike Myers, I think. Oh, yeah. And he's responsible for some of my favourite and least favourite films of all time. <laughs> so uh, this one, I mean, it has to be Wayne's World. She's a fox. In France, she would be called La Renard. And she would be hunted with only her cunning to protect her. She's a babe. She's a robo-babe. In Latin, she would be called Babia Majora. If she were a president, she'd be Abraham Lincoln. Did you ever find Bugs Bunny attractive when he'd put on a dress and play a girl bunny? No. <laughs> no. Ah. Um, fantastic. It, it was, yeah. For, I don't, have you seen it? Um, no, I haven't seen Wayne's World. Okay, well, mm. it's about a guy called Wayne, and he, it's his world. And uh, <laughs> with the plot synopsis over, it's... um. It was it was my introduction to Queen for one thing. Oh, cool! Um, there's the famous you know the famous Bohemian Rhapsody sequence yes. in the car where they're all um, nodding, miming yeah. along to it, and it ends with them headbanging. Yeah, and th- that was the result of you know multiple home videos, <laughs> not just from me, but from almost every household in the UK and America, I think, and probably Australia. Those dirty dogs. <laughs> it was just really funny to have all your kids headbang to Bohemian Rhapsody, like in the Wayne's world. Yeah, and um, um, yeah, that's that's still there somewhere so if you want to you want to wants to find my parents and um, <laughs> tuppence i'm sure they'll they'll sit you down pour your brandy and uh, talk you through it it's gonna be on patreon and th- th- this this is a film i have memorized for the longest time mm. and it's 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 just catchphrase after catchphrase or you know obviously it wasn't a catchphrase at the time mm. but just the, the the brilliance of of so much of this is it's just embedded in, in, in people's psyches now forever. Mm. And it's just shot. It felt like it was shot in an original way. It had a trashy 90s feel to it. Mm. There's a lot of denim. 
There's a ro- <laughs> lot of Rob Lowe. Oh, and, God. And uh, there was even, even um, oh, what's his name? Al Bundy. Oh, Ed O'Neill. Ed O'Neill's in it very um, as yeah. the like, disgruntled, semi-psychotic <laughs> donut shop owner. <laughs> they have these, uh, you know, they turn up and they're like, hey, the donuts here are pretty cool. And um, Ed O'Neill will beckon the camera away from them and just walk with them. And he's like, have you ever thought about killing a man? <laughs> <laughs> Things like that. And um, <laughs> it's... Uh, it's really surreal and subversive. Yeah. It's, it's you know where Austin Powers. It follows a definite track. Yeah. It's 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 very cool and funny, but it's it's very expected. I yeah. Think, a lot of it. But Wayne Wayne's World was all about opening, like literally opening doors into a completely different movie and yeah. and being quite meta and be, being quite contemporary and timely as well. And at the same time, it just got the best out of Mike Myers, Dana Carvey. Yeah. Um, Rob Lowe is amazing in it playing the the smuggest man alive um (laughs) bunjamin yeah i think it was the first time that i'd I'd saw like a a groundbreaking comedy i knew what i was watching i see a little silhouette of a man he's got a moose got a moose will you do the bandango thunderbolts and lightning very very frightening me someone someone told you beforehand <laughs> yeah my dad said this this is hot shit <laughs> this is wayne's man. world oh thanks dad yeah. so i knew i knew Stop what moving <laughs> back in the sack so <laughs> speaking of the sack there's nothing to do with this my next one's <laughs> x-men mutation is the key to our evolution it has enabled us to evolve from a single-celled organism into the dominant species on the planet this process is slow normally taking thousands and thousands of years but every few hundred millennia, evolution leaps forward. Which Aww. came out in 2000, sort of on the border here of um, childhood to adolescence, because I was... I was 12, 12 years old. Um, the last year any of us get to be a child. 2000. And um, no more childhoods after that. Just Greta Thunberg. Yeah, onto the farm. <laughs> We're all going to grow up now and start being climate change activists from age 12. Yeah, I guess what X-Men really did is sort of really set down and define what my aesthetic was going to be for the next 30 years so far. Mm. Uh, well, 20 years so far, let's be clear on that. But <laughs> what? ever since I was a kid, I really became familiar with the idea that on TV, characters wear like fabric outfits, whereas in movies, they wear badass leather ones. That was told to me by yeah. Batman, where in the animated yep. series, he's in a fabric thing, and in the movie, he's in like cool, cold leather. It happens in Power Rangers 2, and it happens in X-Men. And I guess it just really mm. nailed down the idea that in a movie, it'll be less colourful, it'll be more sombre, and stuff is going to have more impact. Mm. Not always the case, because of course Batman and Robin does not communicate stakes as effectively as the Batman animated series. However, it started to cement for me the idea of the difference between television and cinema. A, a line mm. that has blurred considerably in recent years, but there is still part of me, I think, that still sees cinema as this slightly darker but more affecting place mm. than television a place where you know you're going to see a gritty version of these characters you know this isn't mm. going to be the wolverine from the cartoon show going around calling everybody bub you know and having lightning come out of his claws and such it's um mm-hmm. it's going to be a very oh. sad broken hugh jackman character who's um yeah. got a past that he can't get over and has trouble relating to people around him but we'll still call someone bub every now and then so, yeah, the fact that it has very few action sequences again and is based largely on character, this and Men in Black, I think, is helping to define my tastes, which is I like action, but I like action which is defined and led by the characters of the film. 
you know, the big cool. set piece of this movie and the climax is set up by the fact that Rogue runs runs away from school, mm. which is manipulated to happen by Magneto. So it's character action affecting other ca- characters. It's not, mm. you know, oh God, we've got to go to the climax now because that's where that happens. Yeah. You know, it feels... Yeah, you're right. Yeah, more natural. And I think that's something I really still look for in action movies is for, yeah, things to not just follow, like you say, a, a traditional path. I want things to feel mm. like it's being affected by the characters in this world yeah you've 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 talked a few times about how x-men you know about x-men being the watershed Mm. moment where comic book movies take on this new sort of this this new sense of being i think i think so i think certainly for families because i think blade had done something similar before that which i had actually Mm. seen the year it came out so i'd seen blade by the time i saw the x-men but um (laughs) yeah doing it in a sort of family friendly way it really sort Mm. of set i think the path for comic book movies for the next few decades. Yeah. You know this plastic prison of theirs won't hold me forever. The war is still coming, Charles, and I intend to fight it. By any means necessary. And I will always be there, old friend. Well, my my last one from childhood mm. uh, was not necessarily being a family movie. It's definitely definitely a pro family one, probably. Terminator Two, Judgment Day. <laughs> Three billion human lives ended on August 29th, nineteen ninety seven. The survivors of the nuclear fire called the war Judgment Day. They lived only to face a new nightmare: the war against the machines. Pro it's family. all about the family. Anti choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We all know what James Cameron's up to. <laughs> oh God! Is there a reading on? <laughs> Sorry, is there a reading on the Terminator where it's pro-life? <laughs> because <laughs> no, because the Terminators are all like really ardent abortionist enthusiasts. <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> but, but then the ending of Terminator Two, you you you've got to kill an uh, abortion activist, and that's what the Terminator does to himself at the end of Terminator Two. Perfect. Flawless. Brilliant. Read. Oh, I'm gonna flawless. I'm gonna apply to Oxford. <laughs> well, well, Paul does that. Um, when when I saw Terminator Two, I think Term- Terminator, which I went back to watch, you know, a little mm. later. I actually saw Terminator Two first. Um, you know, as, as more of a, too, a horror. It's it's a it's a film with horror elements, whereas Terminator Two is more of an action film. Yeah. And um, Terminator has always appealed to me less for that. So as a kid watching this. What is one of the greatest action movies of all time? Um, yeah, that's probably where we mentioned it, actually. Yes. Um, was, you know, it, it just triggered all of those all of those little joy pockets in my brain. So like, from the, the beginning to the end of it, it's just constant little, constant squirts of dopamine. Whether it's Arnie <laughs> just just very like thickly punching somebody or... <laughs> thickly. Or, <laughs> what, a, yeah. what an adjective. The, the, like the pun. punches are all very thick and chunky in this movie. <laughs> there's, there's lots of getting push through walls and trucks just yeah. flying off of bridges and chasing motorbikes and then exploding and then yeah every, like the helicopters getting taken down and very big guns and mm. a, 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 a woman shooting and loading a shotgun with one arm and yeah there are just so many cool moments <laughs> as a kid you go and then and then linda hamilton or you wouldn't call it linda hamilton as a kid or i didn't anyway just, sarah, and sarah yeah. connor shoots a shotgun <laughs> and it loads with one arm and then the t the t1000 goes back together and, and and and, yeah. on, and on top of all of that it's one of the first movies that made me cry 
as a yeah. uh, as a kid i was crying when arnie oh, goes sure. down with, with the thumbs up it's yeah, it's, it, it, it's not moment. it's not just a it's not a token sad moment of somebody yeah. getting shot out of nothing it's built up after just such amazing character development over the entire film for mm. for the terminator for john connor for um for tom o'connor and for <laughs> and, and sarah connor the three of them together and then yeah. suddenly taking something out of that and 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 re- removing a piece of what you love about the film and everything that's been worked towards yeah. is so heartbreaking mm. and, it, and yeah the first time where i had that much action and and that much heart um yeah it's oh it's, it's always going to have a place in my heart the unknown future rolls toward us i face it for the first time with a sense of hope because if a machine a terminator can learn the value of human life Maybe we can too. The '90s stylings of Terminator 2 has always stood out to me. The um, the very '90s feeling of orange skies over LA and cold mm. steel, you know, really reflective metal. That's mm. yeah, for me, a very '90s kind of look in yeah. my head. <laughs> okay, moving on to my final, the final movie, the movie that stopped me being a child <laughs> forever. <laughs> oh and God. Actually, it's um, it was Debbie Does Dallas. No, it was um, <laughs> actually a movie I saw before X Men. So this is, I think, this is the only part where my chronology is wrong. And um, I'm gonna end on the Matrix. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage. Born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Which um, Mm. I would have seen in 1999, so I would have been 11. I guess it cemented for me forever the idea that the movie, what the movie was that was going to really resonate with me, which is a high concept sci-fi thriller. Mm. Still, most of my favorite movies are that. The movies that yeah. really tend to stick with me and the ones that I really love are the sort of movies like The Matrix that have big ideas, big action. Yeah, the ones that really make an interesting genre premise yeah. intelligent. One of the reasons it was such a big formative movie for me is because it became a shopping list of movies to watch. Um, in right. the same way that Kill Bill did later, because yeah. you go to IMDb, you look at the list of references and it's like, this comes from here and this comes from there. And it's like, holy shit, you know, and... Suddenly yeah. you're watching Ghost in the Shell and you're hunting out John Woo movies and, yeah. you know, um, Bruce Lee and anything else that Yuen Wu Ping ever did. And it just really, really broadened my horizons in ways that I will talk a little bit about shortly. It, it just became a whole entryway to such a, an awesome set of things which have defined not only my interests over the years, because I don't know if my interest in japan for example would have been as as it is if it weren't for the love of japanese cinema that this movie kind mm. of kicked off yeah it really affected me both cinematically and personally i think um the fact that i found this just so cool i found it so cool that it changed me forever and yeah, yeah maybe the fact that i've not won almost nothing but black ever since is in some way related to the matrix a habit i'm only trying to kick now in my 30s so <laughs> you know there's that school i shot up there's just everything about this yeah. movie really <laughs> really influenced me in a big positive way and yeah the Ponsonet is the worst of it <laughs> i'm sorry kiddo i really am you have a good soul and i hate giving good people bad news oh, don't worry about it as soon as you step outside that door 
you'll start feeling better. You'll remember you don't believe in any of this fate crap. You're in control of your own life. Remember? I still feel weirdly tied to the 90s cinematically. Like, mm. I love 90s action movies, crime movies. For some reason, the style and the atmosphere of the 1990s still really resonates with me in a way that I keep hunting out. Mm. I don't know why that is. But it, it lodged its way into my old brain there in my adolescence. Well, let's explore... Maybe everyone feels that way. Yeah, maybe. Let's explore the next five movies in our formative film series. Let's see if that points to any answers. Okay. Let's move from the, the hazy, murky realms of childhood into the bright, brilliant puby period of adolescence. The sweaty, sticky, Pimply. angsty, viscous <laughs> period. Well, yes, teen period. Let's... Let's let's do this. So I was having a you know having a think about the films and filtering through a lot of the films that really had an impact on me throughout that time. And I'd expect nothing less, mate. As with my, with my <laughs> usual meticulous uh, approach to all things life, and um, <laughs> in, in the end, that. I had to filter through films like Magnolia, Memento, Snatch, mm. Royal Tenenbaums, American Beauty, all these films that really impacted on me because mm. they might have been eighteen plus or 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 sixteen <gasps> to eighteen, and I had. Got to be true to the, the form, Paul. You ask me a question, I tell no lie. See, ask me anything, I'll tell you the truth. What colour shirt are you wearing now? I cannot tell you that. Shit. Let's reverse a couple of years, back before I had to make those kinds of hard choices. Back when my <laughs> mum dressed me when I was 16 years old. And uh, I could just watch whatever, whatever I wanted. Chronologically speaking, Starship Troopers would be the first. Young people from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part, too. <laughs> They're doing their part. Are you? Join the mobile infantry and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. This was mm. around the age of 12 or 13. And mm. uh, I didn't know what Paul Verhoeven was. I didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> Did I see Starship Troopers as the um, anti-fascist uh, tirade that it was? Or did I see it as a gung-ho war film where I just wanted those humans to kill the fucking aliens? Um, Only good bug is a dead bug. Am I right? You are right, Paul. And uh, sure so is Neil Patrick Harris, who also didn't know what he was. I assumed he was just part of Paul Verhoeven. But the, <laughs> it, it, as a, it's one of those films where as a 13-year-old, I saw it and I went, okay, this is a, what a cool, gory war movie. I've mentioned this a couple of times for other movies. I, I love how any human killed just instantly becomes meat. It's just a sack of meat yeah. that's just tossed yeah. around by things way stronger and more <laughs> it's scarier than humans will ever be. And, mm. and that, more than anything for Starship Troopers, just dug its way into my soul and it's stayed there ever since. Um, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this shows the evolution that I've come across, uh, that I've come along. I thought all the characters were kind of cool douchebags, the, the ins insane characters. Um, was one of them mm. Clancy Brown? Yes, um, yes, one of the teachers is Clancy um, Brown. <laughs> Michael Ironside is also in that, which is wonderful. Um, mm. there's, there's the, the, the pure douchebaggery and, and just mm. nihilism that I wouldn't have been able to put into words as a 13-year-old. It still stuck out as something unique. Yeah. Um, and it was only in later years when I went back to it and, and realised actually what it was <laughs> that it gained a whole new meaning. Yeah. Um, so I guess starting at 13, but finishing much much later it continued to have an effect on me there's many different reasons yeah first as an idiot and then as someone who thinks <laughs> i love it i love those two stages of your life yeah and i'm looking forward to stage three back to idiot 
Yeah. <laughs> Stage four, no guarantee. <laughs> but just just you wait. I hear it's being directed by Christopher Nolan. So it's <laughs> going to be a non-stop thrill ride through old age and death. <laughs> Time and space. <laughs> a murderer was captured this morning and tried today. Guilty. Sentence, death. Execution tonight at six. All net, all channels. Would you like to know more? Um, so my adolescent films are kind of very deliberately about breaking down barriers, because if my childhood was about discovering that I absolutely love genre movies, and especially sci-fi and action, then mm. my adolescence saw my horizons broaden considerably, um, albeit always with the help of genre. Almost every film I'm about to describe mm. is a genre film that just kind of acts as a gateway to trick me into broadening my mind and my cinematic tastes, because that's what needed to happen. Great, great Big Mac, Mum. Look closer. <laughs> a Thai curry? What? No! <laughs> How? How? And that's, the, Mom. and that's the welfare system for you. <laughs> vote. Vote, uh, vote whatever. Um, <laughs> vote green. Mm. The first one is Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> Which was the movie, and this is going to sound ridiculous that demonstrated to me that black and white films are good ah, because okay. I can't stress enough just how fucking closed I was as a child and how those walls needed to be just kicked right the fuck down. Oh, black and, and white means old. Yeah, black and white means old and boring, therefore, because all old movies are boring. Everyone knows this. I hate them. I hate, I hate them. I hate everything about it because nobody knew what excitement was until about 1992 when <laughs> Terminator 2 came out. Take that came to... <laughs> their peak. Take that was very much the um the broadening of the cinematic scope. But yeah, Night of the Living Dead was a movie that's obviously very fucking compelling. It's exciting from beginning to end. It's not only that, but it captures something of the atmosphere of the 1960s in which it was made. And I think I needed to learn that. The idea that not only are there things that unite us to the past, things like general expectation for cinematic conventions and, mm. you know, things that excite us. You know, a funny line in 1960. Mm. You know, eight is still funny now, and a interesting or horrific premise is still scary now. Obviously, those things are still the same, and it's still great, and they still work. But mm. also, the things that have dated are also something to be cherished. You know, the stuff that doesn't quite work anymore, the phrases or the fashion or just the way it looks, mm. the cinematography, the fact that this is all stuff that we wouldn't really do now, it doesn't alienate you from the experience. If anything, it draws you in further and just makes it a more holistic kind of experience. So, yeah, these were things that were just absolutely beyond me. And I still, I've still met people later in life who have a similar thing where they have like a cutoff of 1980 and they're not willing to watch anything from earlier from then because they just assume that the pacing is going to be bad or, you know, it's going to be very dry. Mm. So, yeah, this was a, a lesson I'm very glad I learned very early on. Well, you used to really be scared here. Johnny. You're still afraid. Stop it now. I mean it. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I, th I think it's it's interesting. People have that same cutoff with subtitles sometimes. Yes. <laughs> to come to my next point. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, my next one definitely isn't a foreign film. Although... Good. Uh, oh. Although... Oh. Maybe foreign to some. Mostly you, because you haven't seen I mean, it. It's American Pie. Wow, I guess every film is foreign to someone. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm a citizen of the world. Yeah. Um, so it's all, you know... Very much my back door. <laughs> Speaking of my back door. 
American Pie. <laughs> Jim, I want to talk about masturbation. Now, I just want you to know that it's a, it's a perfectly normal uh, thing. And I have to admit, uh, you know, I uh, did a fair bit of masturbating when I was a little younger. I, uh, I used to call it the stroking the salami. Yeah, you know, pounding the old pun. I never did it with baked goods. Yeah, American Pie. Now, I, I think I just I fit into the, the 95, 99% of teenagers who saw this movie and it was important to them for one reason or another. Uh-oh. Mostly aside from the boobs. <laughs> which is obviously very, very important to a, a growing teenage boy. Yeah. And the, the, the realization that there are, there are many boobs out there. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, that's what I got from Friday the 13th. Yeah. I mean, there's also that. <laughs> it's, so different, different routes, same conclusion. Interesting. <laughs> um, Science. And then uh, we take out the knife once we're done masturbating and uh, go and chase someone down, yeah? <laughs> Weirdly, it's the, ones, American pie. it's the ones who used to what, masturbate to American Pie have all turned into serial killers. Every single one of them. <laughs> it's, it's like the Saw writers where you think, oh, those guys must be fucked up. They're probably like Michael Bay levels of happiness. <laughs> With Lars von Trier, who's the one who's you got to watch out for. As a society, we have quarantined and isolated Sharon... Uh, oh, fuck. Shannon Elizabeth? Yes. Oh, good. Yay, good pull. Yeah. Elizabeth Shannon. Fuck. Yeah. I'm, gl- I'm glad you... I'm glad you remembered her name anyway, in, in whatever order. Um, but no, it's aside from, you know, as a teen thinking it was just in- incredibly funny. And I still think there are, there are moments there which, you know, if, that, that are funny, especially Eugene Levy. Mm. Um, but other, other than that, you know, th- things that would still be funny if perhaps not parodied into mm. oblivion. But the main takeaway that I got from American Pie as a teenager was that it was okay to masturbate. Yeah. It was a, it was a no- normal thing. Yeah. It wasn't something that uh, I should feel guilty about. That's good. <laughs> Going through, uh, I don't know about you, Paul. I know we can talk about this if you want, but uh, I, you know, like a, a lot of a lot of kids out there, it seemed like it was a, a thing to feel shame ashamed of and definitely guilty, especially when nobody was talking about it. It mm. definitely felt like the wrong. I was doing the wrong thing, and suddenly watching this film not only mm. showed me other people doing this, but mm. friends of mine started talking about it. Yeah, started and doing suddenly, it. This yeah, just just right there in front of me, and that was a real eye opener actually, um, which is ironic because I had my eyes shut for most of the time, um, which wasn't helpful. <laughs> ah, <laughs> no, Paul, you're learning. Eyes open, eyes on me, eyes on me, eyes on me. But finally, talking about it and and friends joking about it and yeah, you know, like rushing to do it before their dads got home or that kind of thing suddenly mm. lifted this huge weight off of me that had been plaguing me for. Uh, months at oh, that brilliant. stage so yeah it's it's uh, aside from being a, like a dumb comedy there's so much mm. positivity in that <laughs> yeah it's the easily the, the first one that came to mind when talking about formative film films for my teenagers brilliant well we'll just tell your mother that uh, that uh, we ate it all i don't remember any sense of shame over my masturbation but i do remember the fact that i did not want to talk about it or my sexual feelings at all uh, it yeah. just, for whatever reason, it wasn't so much shame. It was just kind of embarrassment, but also I wanted it to just be mine. And I remember the minute that I lost that romance. And it was that <laughs> one of the things I used to do was masturbate to the back pages of Cosmopolitan magazine. Because there used oh, to be yeah, pictures for breast augmentation back there. And so you'd get some <laughs> naughty norks just out, which for oh, a, good stuff, a young boy, yeah. you never saw. And oh, yeah. Um, yeah, one time I was in the process. Mum came in unexpectedly, so I quickly put the magazine over my lap. And I said, oh, I was just reading. And mum said, yeah, sure you were. And picked up the thing she'd come in for and left <laughs> without even fucking slowing down. <laughs> like she didn't even pause. She just went to the desk, oh. picked up the thing she was after and left. <laughs> and that was the last time I felt like there, 
masturbation was so, just for me. <laughs> so you think that um, if, if if she'd have come in and made a big deal about it, like, no, I refuse, my only son. <laughs> you'd have uh, you've been able to keep keep it close to your chest. <laughs> Maybe it would have continued to be an exciting thing as opposed to just part of a day. <laughs> oh. Finish up and come for dinner. Well, that's when you spit on your hand and put your finger up your butt. <laughs> oh, there you, you have go. to keep, keep making it yours. <laughs> it's very important to spit first. Speaking of spitting first, my next entry is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. (laughs) Oh, yay. How did this affect your wanking? (laughs) Vigorously. So, yeah, I mean, again, I was a close-minded little kid. And I very clearly remember that I wanted to watch Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon because it had appeared on the Channel 4 list of the greatest movies of all time, in which they showed snippets from the fight between um, uh, the two lead ladies at the end of the film, which Mm. was very exciting. It was a really good fight, and I wanted to see it in situ in my own house, but also in the film. Mm. It was on Sky Premiere, which my family used to get because we were quite middle class. And Mm -hmm. I remember them saying, if you wish to watch this movie um, here, then go ahead. That was exactly how they phrased it. (laughs) If you want to watch it, then please do. Uh, but we have to warn you <laughs> that if you want the subtitled version, please go over to Sky Cinema widescreen. And I was mm. like, oh, fuck, how am I going to watch it without subtitles? <laughs> 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 Shit, I'm not going to know what's going on. <laughs> so I flipped this over. This ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I genuinely didn't realize it was going to be dubbed, although I might have stayed uh. and I would have missed this formative moment because I moved over to Sky um, premier widescreen and watched it with subtitles and learnt simultaneously mm. that foreign films are very good sometimes that they can be very oh, yeah. good and that subtitles They've are not something to be. to be afraid of mm. yeah quick to read and then you can get back to all the action all the faces and the swords yeah. so yeah I think there's a common phrase that you know you have to teach hate you know you're not born with hatred you have to be taught hate, um, hate. and I think that's true mm. but you are born of ignorance that comes supernaturally yes. That's very easy, and you do need to be taught not to be ignorant. And yeah, I guess I just didn't really think of foreign films as something I could relate to. I thought, oh, I just won't have any of the touchstones, the cultural sort of connections, and, you know, Mm. all the rest of it. And I think having quite a limited friend group probably contributed to that. I wasn't being exposed to very many different cultures from my own. But, you know, it's a film about sorrow, regret, love, you know. Chai and fat. Chai and fat, all things that we can all relate to in a very universal Mm. way. So... Yeah, yeah, it was very important for me to, and I think actually did form part of the sort of tolerant, broadly speaking, mm. hopefully, you know, it's a bit of an aspirational target, but liberal person that I've ended up being. And so I think mm. it did have quite a big impact on me to just get the fuck out of your own head. Definitely. Education is the, the most important thing in overcoming any prejudice, I think. Yeah, I think so. As unless you were born a racist. Yeah. Can't change and, that. <laughs> and they are the true wankers. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this should be a Fred. So another night when, uh, when I was masturbating furiously. <laughs> That's a Starship Troopers. I, yeah, I, d- I decided to uh, stop all that for just a second. It's not a true story. And uh, t- <laughs> turn on the telly and, uh, and find Freddy Got Fingered was on. What are you doing to that horse? This is a stud farm, boy. I want to try the horse. Hey, don't cry. I want to try the horse. Oh, 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 oh,
and um oh boy oh boy we've uh we've been through this in quite a lot of detail in episode 10 a tremendous amount of detail I, I t- took it to the yeah took it to the masses uh the subversive dadaist uh, masterpiece that is freddie got offended <laughs> as a teen as a hot young teen uh, i probably i wasn't able to put into words why the this comedy stood out to me so much you know, i couldn't explain that it was sub- subversive and aggressively um like ag- aggressively actively unenjoyable <laughs> in, um, in its intent like fucking um, andy kaufman <laughs> yeah exactly it was it's it's, it's Confrontation. a kaufman light it's a kaufman with more jokes confront the audience <laughs> yeah uh, very very much a goddard um i'm sure you'll agree paul oh um, definitely. but goddard would it was it was just so so weird and i love mm. tom green anyway um at the time his tom green show and yeah his uh his his bum bum song it's all classics and um <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't know where to go without re- like retreading what we've already spoken about but you've got mm. tom tom green and rip torn in the two main roles it pretty much it pretty much says it all rip torn's in one of mm. your formative films paul why can't he be in mine <laughs> um he, no, he it, it comes was... to us all in one way or another <laughs> creepy i didn't realize you'd affected us all so much but in a way i'm not surprised at all again as, as a teenager i remember seeing the, the scenes where he, he's got a whole a pulley system of, of sausages rigged up to his fingers while he's playing yeah. a keyboard in order to be become creative enough to write an animated series yeah. whether he's you know prostrate on a conveyor belt just screaming i'm a sexy boy and, and waving a sausage <laughs> in someone's face as yeah. a teenager it's just exactly the kind of thing i wanted to see Comedy is comedy, and it risks getting state. And mm. I, I, I was seeing something that I'd never seen before. And, and yeah. Tom, you know, Tom Green, it is most unbridled. And again, it's only much later that I was able to put put into words with the help of you bringing in uh, references to the Dadaist <laughs> movement. Um, just, just why I loved it and still do. Yeah, and it was very, very irreverent at the the same time. You could tell that the attitude, the the approach that it was taking, mm. had an extra little wink. I said wink. On the top of it, <laughs> yeah, it was very racy and and saucy and not even not saucy because of nudity or anything, just saucy yeah. because of that extra little. Come with me, I'm going to show you something you've never seen. Yeah, I think that's and important just, for a kid. I think a lot yeah. for a lot of kids of our generation, it's kind of South Park, you know, that came along and was yeah. like, "Hey, you can be naughty and it can be really good," yeah. <laughs> you know, and it very much felt like every generation gets it. It's what Monty Python was for kids in the '60s. Yeah, you know? right. Exactly. It's very much a case of fuck, fuck all Forrestie, this is funny and it's just for you and your parents aren't going to get it, you know, and I think that's an important thing for a lot of kids is to discover their own sense of humour apart from their parents. Yeah. Until yeah. your dad comes in and finds you watching Freddy Got Fingered and goes, yeah, <laughs> sure you are studying dadism. <laughs> Whatever. Come for dinner. Finish up and come for dinner. <laughs> Jesus. Sausage. Oh, look, honey, our boy's a genius. He's rigged a pulley system so he can eat sausage and work on his stupid drawings. And being creative? Now, if you'll excuse me, I still have some work to do. Daddy, would you like some sausage? Daddy, would you like some sausages? Um, well, speaking of Freddy Got Fingered, my next film is The Draftman's Contract by Peter Greenaway. <laughs> the conditions of the agreement, Mr. Noyes, are my services as draftsman for 12 days for the manufacture of 12 drawings of the estate and gardens, parks and outlying buildings of Mr. Herbert's property. For which, Thomas, I am willing to pay £8 a drawing uh, to provide full board for Mr. Neville and his servant. And, uh... And, madam? And to agree to meet Mr. Neville in private and to comply with his requests concerning his pleasure with me. A film that I have spoken about before, 
um, and, and my love for Greenaway. But and to be honest, this film, I'm, I'm not sure which came chronologically first in my life, this or my next one. But mm. it's it was an important film for teaching me that films that are largely driven by dialogue and character can be as fun and exciting and interesting as movies that are driven by action and, you know, mm. a knifed madman. It's just a film that I remember being thoroughly absorbed with. And at a certain point, this weird kind of counter feeling came in to my resistance to watching, you know, long, boring movies as I would have perceived them at that age, to a sort of pride in, oh, wow, I'm actually enjoying this. I must be quite clever (laughs) because I am genuinely enjoying it. So the genuine enjoyment was there, but also the kind of pretentious um, extra level of, um, aren't I great because I'm enjoying this? Doesn't that say something really good about me? Me, a young boy desperately struggling to find any form of identity or anything that makes me special from my peers. Don't you think, everyone? Let me tell you about the draftman's contract. So, some of that hasn't gone away. <laughs> but that's okay. Art, art can be self-affirming. It can, I guess it can be. But, I mean, the things that really drew me to the draftman's contract, aside from the fact it does also have a fairly kinky sense of humour, which was nice to have legitimized by mm. a very <laughs> kind of austere British director. It's like, mm. yes... Penises are funny, aren't they? Here's one. <laughs> Look at it. <laughs> yes, yes, of course it is. Thank you, Mr. Greenaway, for showing me this. <laughs> That's all right. Now carry along. We've got a scene where two men are going to shit all over each other. It's going to be art. I'm going to get a fucking <laughs> grant from the BFI. You just watch. <laughs> Here's me accepting it with my bum. <laughs> Slot it into my buttocks. So Greenaway was important for me. Because, yeah, he's just got that great fast-paced dialogue and really accessible kind of... And it was my first period movie I remember enjoying, I think. I don't remember enjoying mm. anything else before that. So, yeah, I, I think it just... It, again, it was just important for broadening the horizons and telling me, hey, in the... Del- in the What do you call it? The feast of cinema, there are many dishes to take yeah. your fancy. Ooh. Many different things might get your boner up. That's our best episode. <laughs> I think it's been a very honest and true episode, and uh, that makes it our best. I talk about wanking for ages, mate. <laughs> I've been convinced, sir, that you have been deceiving me. What's the matter with your face? Your face, Louis, is very red. No redder than your backside, madam, when Mr. Neville had finished with it. When your speech is as coarse as your face, Louis, you sound as impotent by day as you perform by night. Night and day, madam, your behaviour has been coarse and is now down in corresponding black and white for all the world to peer at, whether the sun shines or the wind blows hot or cold. Your speech, Louis, is becoming meteorological. Look, I think the, ne- the next two of my list are just going to be very predictable when you when you listen to Uh-oh. all you've got to do is listen to 155 episodes of one good thing and know me and <laughs> personally look it's going to be pretty obvious that the next formative film for me is face off isn't it yeah fuck yeah <laughs> it won us something in filmly fortunes um it's won <laughs> me some friends i think you yeah, fuck, um, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't associate yeah. you if you didn't have face-off in common. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else alone is not enough. This is the Trump card. <laughs> it's the Donald it's Trump It's like card. Donald Trump. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, oh, fuck us. So, <laughs> Somebody. I don't know. I, I remember for the first time I watched Face Off. I, it, was, it was on late. And, uh, I thought you said it was on a lake. The... <laughs> Sorry? I thought you said it was on a lake. I remember the first <laughs> time I saw Face Off. We had met each other at the yachting club. <laughs> 
He's playing tennis with a wonderful f- backhand. But his parents were <laughs> raising him to be the the debutante ball. Anyway, I don't know what I'm doing. It's mixing. <laughs> yeah, Nicholas Cage's yeah. face. <laughs> so first time I met Nicholas Cage's face on a boat was in my parents' living room. With uh, it was it was it was on late, mm. and um, I asked if I could stay up and watch it because I knew John Travolta from The Grease. Oh yes, and uh, he was on a carousel with a boy. <laughs> Yep. Could have been his son. I didn't know at the time. <laughs> and I said, oh, Dad, can I stay up and watch this? Or Mum and Dad. And they went, yes, but you have to be well behaved. <laughs> and uh, as, as soon as John Travolta was shot, I went, oh, no, what's going to happen? And then my dad sent me to bed. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, great. Um, yeah. Um, uh, a little while later, after I proved <laughs> that I could be an adult, that, uh, that I watched it and... Uh, <laughs> It's funny because every film I ever watched of you, you'd always start in the first, at least in the first five minutes by going, oh no, what's going to happen? <laughs> and you just abided it until now. I loved it. But now you, but now you know the only, the only true way to treat it is to send me to bed. And I will go, is the thing. <laughs> I will go to the go. top of the cinema where there's a bed there and explain it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and then I watched it and I was presented with a John Woo film. With Fuck. some of the best action I'd ever fucking seen in my life. Yep. With Nicolas Cage pretending to be John Travolta, pretending uh-huh. to be Nicolas Cage. Yes. And John Travolta pretending to be Nicolas Cage, pretending to be John Travolta. Mm. And some other things in there as well. Big <laughs> guns, doves, sand. It had everything. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. It, it had this crazy relationship between Castor and Pollux Troy, Nick Cage and um, Alessandro Nivola. Yeah, that's right. It had a doctor in there that looked like my dentist. It literally had everything. <laughs> and a young boy it was one. just, uh, but behind the, the science mumbo jumbo, it's a very simple story of, of good meets evil. You know who the good guy is, you know who the bad guy is, and the bad guy is a fucking circus and it's yeah. just a constant joy to watch. <laughs> um, it's, it's incredible for jo- Nick Cage relinquishing Nick Cage to somebody else for, the, for most of the movie. Mm. And it, 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 it just ramps up and ramps up. It keeps tension really well. The stakes always getting uh, higher and higher. Mm. And the final, you know, the final two and a half hour action sequence on the boat is <laughs> really everything I could want as a teenager because it's it's very unyielding with payoffs until the very, very end. Yeah. There's, there's so much vengeance that you want on behalf of <laughs> Sean Archer and it just yeah. keeps dragging it out and dragging it out with that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and um, it, the as the net titans, you know, it it just spoke directly to me as a teenager. There yeah, was, it, I didn't need any greater understanding of it to to mm. be able to enjoy it at that stage. And you know, it's not to say that films that I understood later I didn't enjoy, but uh, the, the directness of it, it it was very visceral for me. Mm. Um, it's all it's it's always nice to know that films like that stand the test of time as well. <laughs> that I can keep I can keep going back to watching it. Yeah. Just going, yeah, no, this is fucking incredible. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, my next one is um, a movie that actually taught me two different lessons at different stages of my life, and that's Mulholland Drive. Ooh. Now, it's not the first Lynch I saw. The first Lynch I saw was Eraserhead, and I loved it, but I don't actually remember looking any deeper into Eraserhead whatsoever. I think it just happened to me, and I was willing to accept it as an experience, but when I saw Mulholland Drive, 
a movie that had been hanging around the house since 2001 when it came out, because I remember my parents getting the DVD, and it had David Lynch's uh, list of clues for figuring out the movie in it. Um, <laughs> a list of clues that I now suspect was an attempt to troll the audience, yes. and further obf- obfuscate any sense of meaning in the actual film. So, um, having eventually gotten around to watching this film, which I seem to remember I did as a double bill of Lost Highway, an even more confusing film, mm. but there was just enough to Mulholland Drive to encourage me to start looking. I think it, ju- it made just enough sense, and I cared more about the main characters than I had at the other films. Mm. Also, I think the first film in which I had lesbian protagonists, which, you know, had a big impression. Yeah, that nude scene I- had a big, yeah, it was a big moment for me as a teen. And um, But also they were just so nice in the first two thirds of that movie that I really <laughs> was very disturbed by the ending, which seemed to imply such a bleak ending for them. And I wanted to understand it better so that I could feel better about what happened to them, I think. Mm. And so I wanted to dissect. And I did. I really fucking dissected this movie. I had multiple page documents that I would take into school every day and sort of read and circle the important bits. Way more oh, so wow. than any fucking work I did for school. I don't remember <laughs> ever using a highlighter in an academic context but i fucking picked out the key parts of the mahal and drive fan theories i print out from the internet ended up at one stage with eight different theories and it was all baffling nonsense and i had one and what's crazy is ultimately the theory i worked up the night i saw it was the one that really probably was closest to what david lynch was going for Mm. but i was absolutely obsessed with solving all the little things like the little blue key what does that mean what does it mean that it's here and not here what does the piano shaped ashtray mean and then yeah. ultimately, the lesson that Mulholland Drive taught me again was greatly assisted by the book Good Day Today, oh, yeah. which really sort of put David Lynch in great context for me. And eventually David it taught Lynch. me that you, you should some movies you shouldn't actually look through like this. Most movies, you should actually try and feel your way through it. Mm. And I'm very interested that the new trailer for Tenet actually has that line in it. I'm try to understand it. Feel it. Feels like Nolan mm. actually saying to us, and hopefully he's gonna, you know, trust us a bit more because you know I love Nolan, but I do yeah. sometimes think about what Interstellar would have been like if there had been no dialogue in that final scene with him in the black yeah. hole. You know, just trust us; it's fine. We'll follow it. You know, we'll figure it out. Yeah. So I'm hoping he's gonna do something a bit more ambitious with Tenet as a result. But this was the first one that introduced me to that concept—the concept of just feel it. You know, mm. what's this movie about? You don't have to read 10 pages of fan edits, you know, fan theories. What does it feel like it's about? Mm. Eraserhead feels like it's a story about a parent who doesn't want to be a parent. And it is. Mulholland Drive <laughs> feels like it's a story about the really corrupting influence of Hollywood on young starlets. And it is. Mm. So, yeah, it's just a movie that, first of all, taught me to dig deeper and then taught me to just calm the fuck down. And I think it's interesting that the, it was the same movie that kind of came to me at two different stages in my life to kind of communicate that to me. Yeah, right. Silencio. That's very interesting. Hmm. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Um, also, I wanked all over it. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was gonna. I, I was gonna ask. Just trying to find the right time. Do you know what? David Lynch didn't include scene selection in that fucking thing, and I think that might partly. I mean, he would rationale that you should be watching the whole thing at once in any stage, but. It did mean you couldn't cut to that lesbian scene. Mm. You'd just sit there with it on fast forward, hoping your parents <laughs> wouldn't come in. <laughs> do it now, though. Do it. Oh anymore. yeah, it's probably on Pornhub. Isolated. Yeah. Blown up. There, there, there are probably <laughs> fan fictions on Pornhub of people recreating that. 
There's a porn parody of fucking David Lynch films. <laughs> Eraserhead, a triple X parody. <laughs> and Jana Michaels playing the fucking mutant baby. <laughs> wow, goo goo. I haven't seen it. <laughs> uh, Lord of the Rings, Paul. Oh, yeah. When would I have ever seen something so incredible yeah. and so comprehensive and complete yeah. and successful in my entire life up to that point? And and when really have I seen anything like that since? Yeah. So in a way, Lord of the Rings formed me, but I'm still hanging on to it with a Murakami-esque nostalgia yeah. that ultimately is going to spoil my enjoyment of The Rise of Skywalker because I just <laughs> keep remembering... Do you remember Return of the King? <laughs> remember when good things? Do you remember that was good? Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember when it was good? Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? I think there's a there's a, a philosophical and ultimately negating message that we can bring out of this is mm. that uh, don't hang on to the, the films of your past, Paul. I don't even <laughs> want to listen, hear your last one. Kill the past. It's, Let it die. Yeah. But uh, what's your last one? Oh, my last one. Uh, Seven Samurai. Because it's oh, the movie. Nice. I mean, 2003 was the movie where I really remember two emotional punches to my soul. One of which being, um, neither of which was uh, The Matrix Revolutions, although I was sad that Trinity died. But um, yeah, Return of the King and Old Boy were the two movies I watched that year, and I just remember yeah, feeling yeah. very strongly about both. But um, oh. yeah, Seven Samurai is a movie I watched when I was very young, and I guess it taught me the same thing that reading Don, Qui- Don Quixote taught me, which I also did when I was mm. far too young. Or Alexander Dumas. I'm thinking about how clever you were. <laughs> Trying to prove to everyone. Fuck, I'm good at books. <laughs> In this case, actually, it was just that my grandmother bought me a copy of The Three Musketeers and Don Quixote, and I read both. Ah, uh, cool. And again, it just taught me that idea of, oh, there's a reason these are classics. Yes. It's not just because a bunch of academics sat down, got a maths book out, and figured out based on form and format and a bunch of mm. other measurable qualities, these are the best f- films and books ever made. They're yeah. just, they're the best films ever made because they're fucking great. They're really yeah, good. Yeah, it's not an out of spite. And fun to watch, exactly. It's not just something, <laughs> it's like, how could we ruin a bunch of school children's day? Yeah. And Seven Samurai, I think, was the first movie that really just said, hey, fucking classic cinema is a treasure trove. Mm. There's so much good stuff back here. Just dive in. It's amazing. Relatable stuff. Yeah, relatable stuff, exciting stuff, more exciting than probably the last Steven Seagal movie you watched. Probably, you know, you never know. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> yeah. Yojimbo, Nico, yeah, it's tricky, but great stuff. And and, and just, I just remember the, being so blown away by Seven Samurai and how immediately accessible it is. How funny, how exciting, mm. how beautiful, how just everything that movie is. And yeah, I think it's the the last the last gate that needs to be thrown open, really, for me to just say, all right, rest of the world cinema, just anything, come on in. Mm. I'm gonna have you all. These are just the films that have stood out to me Because like we said at the beginning We've got poor memories Some of these we've just retroactively decided so shit. Were important Yeah um, But my taste and relationship with film Has been sort of reforged and refined By endless films And to this day I didn't think I was very fond of Fellini uh, Based solely on mm. not being too wowed by Eight and a Half When I saw it as an early 20-something But for the last two months I've been attending a retrospective on Fellini Because 100 years old this year uh, dead, but also 100 mm. years old. And I've loved everything I've seen, particularly the Dolce Vita and Knights of Kiberia. Really amazing films. Mm. So I think my tastes cinematically are similar to me as a person, which is to say that nothing is ever final or set in stone. It's a little bit scary, but I guess it's kind of fun as well. Just 
who knows who either of us will be yeah. this time next year. Maybe Adam Sandler fans. I mean, I'm, we've established I'm semi an Adam Sandler fan. <laughs> I really like, which Dunk- is why I'm so disappointed in him all the time. I really like Duncut Gems, so yeah. Cool. There you go. There we go. You have to agree with some things people say. Some. I don't know. Just about it. So, Paul. I think so. What about the OGT? Well, we asked the OGT, and they responded. Oh shit! On mass. Yes, starting with Christopher Bond. Uh, he said, Fanta- Fantasia. Fantasia, Toy Story, Star Wars 4, 5, 6, and 1, The Matrix, The Usual Suspects, Reservoir Dogs, mm. Clue, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Who Am I, Men in Black, Lord of the Rings, Sin City, Pokemon Movie, The Simpsons Movie, Dodgeball. Ah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of really great films wow. there. Usual Suspects was big for me too. I think it really mm. paved the way for me embracing. Again, it's, it's <clears throat> yeah, it's just that aesthetic of sort of 90s action. That and Heat, I think, mm. had a similar kind of gritty style that set me up for all the yeah. stuff i like katie uh, katie writes about oh. uh said this really weird 1996 movie called the daydreamer i loved it and watched it all the time as a kid also of course monty python back to the future and some like it hot oh, brilliant the daydreamer i've never heard mm. of it that's really interesting no nor me oh. I, don't, I immediately don't trust it <laughs> i have to hunt that out i mean yeah monty python of course was really important for me too even though it was you know so mm. old i still remember seeing holy grail and just thinking "Ooh, this is something else yeah, this is something like I've not seen before. Even though every comedy yeah. since has been influenced by it, this is still something yeah. very different. Yeah, and I, I think as a twenty-something, I, I appreciated it even more as, as, than I did as a teenager. Mm. I think it was again appreciating the weirdness, but then <laughs> just catching up with how clever it was. Yeah. Um. Yeah. God. <laughs> Janelle. Yeah. Uh, says as a tiny lass, the Dark Crystal, the Secret Garden, the Land Before Time. Yeah. Return to Oz. Jaws. <laughs> Star Wars. A rich Titch. Yeah, a rich tridge. As a growing bean, The Matrix, Lord of the Rings, Stand By Me. As a freshly formed adult, Sunset Boulevard. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Sunset Boulevard landed. Yeah. Great. Love that Billy Wilder stuff. Actually, Nell showed me Sunset Boulevard a couple of years ago. Mm. And again, it was one of those times, you know, the, like the first time I read Crime and Punishment or David Copperfield. Yeah. And I went, oh, old books can mean something to me. <laughs> I can feel the same emotions as somebody 200 years ago. How weird. <laughs> I guess this was made by person. Ugh. Um, feelings Sunset Boulevard was very similar mm. it's, oh they told jokes back then and they were also funny yeah and, and oh, subversive the, I remember just being falling in love with the sassy script girl he has as a sort of love interest mm. and just being like oh yeah. oh yeah sexy was sexy back then too mm. <laughs> sexy's always sexy that's the thing about sexy except for sort of Henry VIII era <laughs> paintings for the emphasize yeah. <laughs> Blokebusters. Uh, Paul at Blokebusters said, mm. Road to Perdition was the first film that I studied in a film studies class. That started me down a huge rabbit hole. Monty Python and the Holy Grail was the only film to literally make me fall out of my chair laughing. And you got to buy better chairs. <laughs> As, they got to catch it. Or, or get a second smaller chair underneath that first chair. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I do, and I swear by it. Yeah. That's a Goodman guarantee. <laughs> As for foreign language... Shaolin Soccer and Ghost in the Shell, yeah. the anime, not the fucking nightmare of a westernization, mm. really made huge impressions on me in my formative years. Also, anything with Robin Williams. Absolutely. You know what? I had the same mm. thing of Kung Fu Hustle. It was probably um, the first... I love Kung Fu Hustle. I love... Yeah, so Stephen Chow really, I think, was a big part in just saying to foreign viewers, or at least to me, just, you know, foreign humor can be really good. Because I was worried about foreign comedy. I thought comedy might be a really localized thing. Of course, tragedy is the mm. same and, you know, all the rest of it, but... You watch Shaolin Soccer and it's just, oh, so fucking great. Shaolin Shocker. <laughs> Shaolin Shocker. It was a Shaolin Shocker for me. The only time when I found humor in a movie hasn't translated is a Finnish movie. Oh, really? That just, yeah. Or was it Icelandic? It was, 
Scandi. Is it the man with no face or something? I've seen a few Scandi humors. Um, there was one that was really fucking bleak. It was about dead sheep. And I couldn't mm. tell what the fuck it was. Yeah, I mean, oh man, I can't even remember what that was called. But yes. Yes, okay, so except Scandinavians, I like- cinema's universal. <laughs> I, like, I like your melodic death metal, but... Uh, I mean, Roy Anderson is fucking on that great. Humor. I lent you a pigeon sat on a branch contemplating existence, right? Yes, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I guess there are comedies... American and UK oh, comedies yeah. that I watch and go, oh, I don't get this at all. So it's probably just more <laughs> Saturday that. Night Live. Yeah, Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Most most Will Ferrell things nowadays. Mm. Force Majeure. I'm not even going to watch it. I'm just going to say Force Majeure. <laughs> oh, what, the new one? Um, Fucking, yeah. Whatever it's called. Yeah. What's it called? Is it called Force Majeure or no. is it called Snow Tragedy? They're not gonna, people aren't going to turn out for Force Majeure. Like, ugh, what is that? Will Ferrell starring in Snow Dad. <laughs> Bad snow dad. <laughs> Fuck me. Chris Attaway uh, said, Spielberg. I remember seeing Jurassic Park for yeah. the first time and I had the same reaction as Laura Dern and Sam Neill. I was in awe. I feel like I'm always looking for that feeling in cinema now. It was the music and the camera movements and the building of suspense. Magical. Really brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, it was really quite, it was really impactful to me. And that, that shot in particular really amazed me because I just didn't know there were people like Sam Neill out there. <laughs> really I still refuse to believe. <laughs> Can't be. Yeah. It's too perfect. Stuart Watkinson said, as a kid, it was Conan, Star Wars, Clue, Indiana Jones, Back to the Future. As I got a little older, Pulp Fiction. As I got a little older, got Pulp a Fiction, older. Goodfellas, a little Casino, <laughs> Silence of the Lambs, Usual Suspects, Menace to Society, Higher Learning. My teens were spent constantly devouring more films. Yeah. There's that real excitement, really, when you sort of break down the door and realize, ooh, there's so many movies here I can watch and that are going to mm. be great. <laughs> I remember one summer watching a whole yeah. bunch of movies from the IMDb's top uh, 250 and it included stuff like The Treasure of Sierra Madre and um, Stalag 17. And I just remember being mm. so thrilled that there was so much cinema out there to enjoy. Yeah, man. It's... And do you know what? There's still, it is loads. There's still loads that we haven't seen. Yeah. My God. Fucking hell. What's the point? Se- I haven't even seen The Sound of Music yet. I have. I win. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's how it works. Matt Antonio. Patreon legend says yeah. uh, the last Starfighter on Romancing the Stone as they were two VHS pirates we had from the mm. one time we rented a second VCR. Uh, I watched Starfighter in particular on repeat for six slash snow days home from school. Starfighter struck me much later as a meditation <laughs> on merit-based advancement though to the service of defending the vulnerable. Mm. Um, I've never seen it. I've never, well, either no, of those actually. Either. No, I've, mm. I've heard a lot about it but I never actually saw it. It was a big oh, deal well, to a lot of folk. Add it to my rec- Rex list, I guess. Yeah. Uh, also, the Eraserhead slash Robocop Friday evening was vigorously illuminating for a young <laughs> fellow of 12. Thanks, Dad. Fuck yeah, Jesus. Uh. Yeah, I watched Robocop at a very young age. That was uh, that was a big one. That'll just about do it for formative films. Thank you, everyone in the OG team Thanks, for OG sharing. Team. OG team, 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 team. Paul, how can people find out more about the formative pools? They can check the formative pools on their MySpace and GeoCities pages where from the very moment of conception has been painstakingly documented by our awful parents. <laughs> you, uh, the modern day pools, uh, the already formed who will never grow or become anything any more than they are right now. <laughs> uh, available for all to see on Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, uh, Instagram. You can send us an email at gmail at ogtpod at gmail.com. You can listen to us on this one that you're listening to right now and also Spotify now. Now, now, now. Uh, <laughs> we have a Patreon Thank you so much to everybody who has already oh uh, subscribed. Your money is making us go c- cool. It's literally Let's putting doing shirts on our backs. It's putting. It's literally putting shit on the table. And, <laughs> um, what else is going to do that? Gold in your ears. 
thanks so much seriously to everybody it's it's uh, yeah. really amazing to get the opportunity to do more of the things we love to do we've just released a mm. review of 1917 and mm. uh we have more great shit coming yep new Paul salt film club coming out next friday what's it gonna be something oblique it's <laughs> <laughs> a poorly promise that's a poorly promise I should probably put something like Freddy Got Fingered in there. Guest House Paradiso coming out next on Pool Salt Film Club. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Pool Bottom. I'm Pool Bottom. Uh-oh. Pchang, pchang. <laughs> 12 minute fight sequence. <laughs> and remember, the one good thing about formative films is that it's better than spending your childhood reading. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>